We're continuing the, our exposition of the Gospel of John. This morning, again, we are in the 10th chapter. Last week, we looked at the second half of the narrative of a man who was born blind in that ninth chapter. We saw a number of things. We saw the misuse of the Sabbath. People of that day were being oppressed by man-made laws that the religious leaders were making up. There were so many restrictions on the day God had given as a, a gift of worship that the day of worship and rest became a day, a day of, of curse, a, a day of burden. Christ came on that day, healed a blind man, showing that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And he showed the true reason for that day of rest was to glorify God, in which he did by giving sight to a blind man. In that healing, Jesus displayed that mercy that God gave us was also given to his fellow man by healing a man on that Sabbath day. We saw a heart. We saw a hard hearted unbelief. The reaction of the Pharisees was to deny obvious truth. Only God could heal the eyes of a blind blind man. We saw the, the faith of a blind man. God began to work in the heart of this once blind man, this beggar who stood in front of 70 elders being questioned concerning how his eyes were given sight. And as this investigation continued, the once blind man, his faith grows and he becomes a defender of Christ. He's therefore, because of his defense of Christ, kicked out of the synagogue. And when he, kicked, when he is kicked out of the synagogue, he comes face to face with the one who gave him eyes to see the true temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus asked him in verse 35 of chapter 9, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus found this once blind man, the, the one who used to sit outside of the city walls and beg for mercy. Jesus found this man and gave him mercy in the form of giving him physical eyes to see and spiritual eyes to believe. The man's response was worship. He worshiped Jesus. And it's an interesting fact that Jesus did not reject this man's worship. In Acts chapter 10, Peter rejected the worship of Cornelius. He said to him, stand up. I'm a man as well. Peter did not accept worship from men because Peter was not God. In John chapter 22, or Revelation 22, John is so overwhelmed by what he's been shown that he falls down and begins to worship an angel. And the angel says to him, quickly, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book, worship God alone. This man bows before Jesus and worships him. And there is no rebuke of Jesus. There's no stand up, man. What are you doing? Jesus accepts this man's act of worship. He's, he accepts this man's act of worship as being a reasonable act because of who he is. Jesus has gone after one of his own sheep, one that was lost. The blind man can now see and he now follows the voice of his shepherd. Jesus, aware now of the presence of the religious leaders around him, says out loud for judgment. Verse 39, I came into this world. That those who do not, those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. You may recall in John chapter three, verse 17, Jesus said he did not come into the world to judge, 
And it may seem like this is a contradiction then. Jesus says, for the world, and for, for judgment I came into this world. But it's not a contradiction. It's actually a complementary truth. It's a parallel truth that run, runs alongside of the fact that, listen, Christ came to give mercy. But if you reject the mercy of Christ, then you will receive the judgment of Christ. Christ came to give grace. But if you reject the grace of Christ, then you will receive the wrath of God. And that is exactly what the religious leaders were doing. They were well aware that Jesus was referring to them when he said these things. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we blind also? They know that he was speaking about them. Do you assume that we cannot see? And they knew that he was speaking of spiritual blindness. He knew that they were, he was saying to them, you are dead in your sins. All of your religious works, all of your so-called good deeds are doing you no good because you are still apart from God. And what was the response of Jesus? He says to them this, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus is saying, you say you represent God and stand for God, but you reject his son. Therefore, you reject God. Therefore, you are blind. If you would acknowledge that you are blind, if you were to acknowledge that you are apart from God, then you would be saved. But since you think you are close to God, then your guilt remains. Jesus is now about to go into a long discourse. And this discourse is directed toward the blind Pharisees. You have to understand that there's not really a chapter break, although there is a break in your book. This is a a, a conversation that continues on. And he's speaking to the blind Pharisees of that day who refused to show mercy to the lost man that was healed on the Sabbath. This discourse is known as the shepherd's discourse. And within this discourse, Jesus is making a contrast or he's making a comparison. This is very important. He's making a comparison between himself and the false leaders of Israel. Jesus will use different analogies to explain this contrast, and he will do so using two new I am's. He said in John chapter six, verse thirty five, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this passage, Jesus will introduce himself as two more I am's. I am the door, he says, and I am the good shepherd, he will say. In this passage, we will see four things. We will see the failure and danger of hirelings. We will see the protection and goodness of the door and the good shepherd. And finally, we will see marks of true sheep. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm only going to read through maybe 10 verses. Actually, I'm going to read through just six. Isaiah already read the entire uh, portion for me. Thank you, Isaiah. Verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. A stranger will not they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. We'll stop there.
We're going to go through the entire 1 through 21 verses, though. The religious leaders, they boasted that they could see. They believed that they were the righteous ones of Israel standing safe and secure with God. Jesus comes and he demolishes their self-righteousness. Jesus comes and he exposes their blindness. And now Jesus is exposing their failure of leadership. He's touched on their blindness. And now he's also saying, not only are you blind, but you've been terrible leaders. Again, he's making a comparison. Let's start with the, the people he's directing this message to. The leaders of Israel. Number one, the danger or the failure and the danger of the higher links. Number one, verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. We're going to add another verse to that. Verse 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Who is the thief? The Pharisees. In this passage, in this context, Jesus is not speaking about the devil. We have all heard all of our lives that thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in reference to the devil. And that may be true about him. But in this passage, in the context, he's speaking to the false, failing religious leaders of that day who did not care for the sheep, but only wanted to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep for their own good pleasure. So you can use that, but make sure you're relating it to bad pastors. And if you're speaking about me, then you better take it back. The first contrast that he makes is between those who enter the door of the sheepfold, the one who who deceptively climbs over the fence to sneak into the sheepfold. Jesus identifies those who sneak into the sheepfold as thieves and as robbers, those who come to kill and to steal and to destroy. Again, not about the devil or his demons. Now, listen, they may be influenced by the devil. They may even be possessed by the devil, but he's speaking about bad religious leaders. And Jesus takes this illustration of sheepfold and gate from the way in which sheep were shepherded in that day and time. It's still practiced today in Palestine. There was a large sheep pen that shepherds would take their sheep into to spend the night. The shepherds would lead their sheep into that sheep pen and they would enter through one main gate. Which was tended by a man that was called to watch over the sheep overnight. He was a hired hand or a hireling or a gatekeeper. So the shepherd leads his sheep into the sheep pen and he leaves them with a hireling or a gatekeeper. The sheep would stay there overnight. They would stay there among other sheep. They were free to to graze in the sheep pen and they would be safe overnight if the gatekeeper did his job. It was the job of the gatekeeper, the hireling, to stay overnight, to watch the sheep until the shepherd returns. When morning came, the gatekeeper would open the gate only for the shepherd. If he let somebody else in, then he was opening up danger to the sheep that did not belong to him. The sheep would hear the voice of their shepherd calling out to them. And each sheep had their own name. And they recognized their own name. Matter of fact, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep was so intimate that the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd from a distance and they would come running to him. 
It was common practice of that day again for shepherds to give sheep names. But there were times when a thief would come in and steal or attempt to steal sheep. More than likely, it was usually a wild animal such as more than likely a wolf or a lion. He would come, they would come, and not only attempt to steal the sheep, but to kill the sheep and ultimately destroy or devour the sheep. The person attempting to steal the sheep would not go through the main gate. Why? Because there was a gatekeeper there guarding the gate. It was his job to make sure no one got in unless they went through him and no one got out unless they went through him. But there were many times when a sheep would get stolen, would get killed and would get devoured. And here's the other thing. Many times the hirelings knew about it and they were unwilling to defend the sheep. Because why would I lay down my sheep, my my life against a wolf when that sheep is not mine? I'll save my own life rather than saving that sheep's life. Because he was only a hireling. These are not my sheep. I'm just a gatekeeper. I'm not going to lose my life or these sheep. But the shepherd, because he knows, loves, and cares for his sheep like David, was willing to take on a lion and even a bear to protect his sheep. But the hirelings... They run from danger. The hirelings, if they were a bad hireling, would allow anyone to come in as long as it didn't cost them their lives. Jesus takes this well-known practice of that day and begins to make an analogy. Begins to make a contrast between himself, a good shepherd, and a hireling who cares nothing for the sheep. And as he's speaking to the people, they know exactly what he's talking about. And now so do you. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. The door, as we will see, the door is Christ. The false religious leaders of that day had completely abused the sheep of the good shepherd. They had abused them by not caring to show them mercy. They abused them by hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and placing impossible works of the law on their shoulders that they themselves would not even carry. They were false shepherds. They were false leaders. They were the newest in a long line of false shepherds that led Israel. Isaiah describes them as mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. Dogs who are greedy and not satisfied. Shepherds who have no understanding. Isaiah also goes on to say they have all turned to their own way, each to unjust gain. To the very last one of them. Jeremiah called them stupid. Jeremiah 10 21. The shepherds have become stupid, he said, and they have not sought the Lord. They've not prospered or they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. Jeremiah continues and says, my shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They've trampled down my field. They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, the shepherds have led them astray. They have made them all turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountains to hills and they've forgotten their resting place. They're wandering and don't know where to go. They have not come to care for the sheep. They have come to, they have not come to love the flock. They've come to fleece the flock. They've come to shear the flock while the shepherd is gone and and take their wool and use it for their own good pleasure. They've not come to build up the man and help him to glorify God. 
But they use the man to glorify themselves in all that they do. They use the man for their own self-gain. They cause the man to think of that person as so holy that that man would bow down before his false holiness. These are the marks of a false shepherd. They will flatter you. They will say all the things that you want to hear. They will make all the promises that you desire. And they'll speak all of these things on behalf of God who has not spoken to them. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with what? Vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it will not. It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come after you. You know what they say. This is the last day that you're ever going to struggle. This is the last time that you're ever going to be in want. No more. This is the last time from this day on. Why do they say that? Because it's exactly what you want to hear. That's what causes you to come back. That's what causes you to bring a friend. That's what causes you to, to post what they said on Facebook or wherever you post it. Not you, some of the church. And God says about them, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. They're hirelings. They're false prophets. And taking this back to the discourse of Christ, he is pointing to the religious leaders of the day and saying, I did not send you, yet you ran. You failed to watch the gate. You let all the false prophets and all of the false leaders in through the gate. And you watched them jump over the fence and you did nothing to protect the sheep. You let them all in. You cared nothing for the flock. But you allowed anyone and everyone to come in and abuse my sheep. They climbed over walls. You snuck them in. And the purpose was to steal, kill, and destroy. They did not enter through the door. They entered some other way. They were blind guides leading the blind. And the result is they both fall into a pit. Jesus said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Paul warned the elders of the Ephesian church. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. They failed. The religious leaders failed. They failed to lead. And because they failed to lead, they became dangerous. Leaders who don't know where they're going are dangerous. Leaders who don't know what they're doing are dangerous. Those of you who want to jump out ahead and start your own Bible study, and you've only been saved for a few months, you're dangerous. Slow down. You're going to hurt someone. They became just as dangerous as the wolves because they were allowing the wolves to come in only to find out that they themselves were a wolf. My dear brothers and sisters, beware of hirelings. Let me say to you, I'm a hireling. I've been called to watch over the door of the sheep pen until the shepherd returns. But I am not your shepherd. Christ is your shepherd. Christ is the one who cares for you. Christ is the one who loves you. Christ is the one who has called you by name. He's guiding you. He's calling you. And he will return. But until then, it is my responsibility to watch the fence, to stand in front of the gate and protect his sheep as he returns.
which leads us to the next point, the security of the door and the love of the shepherd. In contrast to the danger and failure of the hirelings, Jesus points to the security and the love that is found in him, the good shepherd. Verse 2 of uh, chapter 10. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought all his out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse seven will add to that. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Let's number one address the security of the door. In those days, the hireling watched over the sheep and would stand near the door of the entrance. Now, a good hireling, listen now, would not only stand by the door, but he would come to the door and he would sleep across the entrance. Lying in front of the door, ensuring that no one got out unless they went through him and no one got in unless they went through him. He not only stood in front of the door, in front of the door he became a door. Jesus is saying about himself, I'm that door. You don't get in unless you go through me and you don't get out. Jesus presents himself as that door. He is not only a literal door, but he is also the shepherd who stays with his flock. Jesus is with you. And in order to protect them, he lays down at the entrance of the door, making sure that you are protected and that you are safe. What is what a joy it is to know that we are safe in Christ. What a joy it is to know that when he calls your name, you come to him. Now, notice that all the sheep come to him. Notice that when he calls out his sheep come to him, not all the sheep. If you want a, a defense of election, then you can use this for yourself. But not all the sheep come, only the ones who know him and know his voice. And they come running to him because they are his. Verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And listen to this. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. How safe are you in Christ? You are so safe that he not only lays in front of the door to make sure that no one goes in without going through him. But while you're there, he makes sure that no one will be able to snatch you out of his hand. You are safe in Christ. You are secure in Christ. Your salvation is secured in Christ. You will not be losing your salvation. Instead, you will be fighting. You will be going through sanctification. You will be struggling. But all the time, God, Christ himself, will be holding you in his hand saying, I will not let you go. And no one will snatch you out of this. If you want more for that, he says to them, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. Given who to you? To them. Given who to him? His sheep. All the sheep? No. Some of the sheep. Those who know his voice. No one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Not not only are you safe in Christ, you are safe in the Father. You have double dual safety. You're worried about losing your salvation? He's made a promise that you are safe in Him and you are safe in the Father. You are secure in your salvation. These sheep, these are the ones who have entered through the gate. And they've done so through repentance and faith in Christ alone. They're the ones who have recognized their need for Christ. They're the ones who have understood their bankruptcy bankruptcy apart from Christ. 
And he's given them eyes to see and faith to believe. He is the door. We are by nature separated from God. We are far off from God. Sin was the wall that separated us from our creator. We both hated and despised God because of what? His holiness and our unholiness. But the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do? He makes this hole through the wall and he creates a door. Through that wall, the wall of sin, he creates, he busts through, and he creates a door so that those who have faith may come and enter into their rest, his rest. And he does this through the sacrifice on the cross. And he does this through the resurrection from the dead, securing your salvation. Can you turn it down like 73? He created a door. And he is the door. Sorry. There is no other door. There are no other ways. There are no other entrances. He said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation in no one else except, and there is no name under heaven and earth that has been given among men which we we will be saved except through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the door. There is no other way. He is the only door. And entering through that door, which is the only door, for you, it gives you security. There is no other way. Let us enter through this door. Let us find ourselves walking by faith through this door. Because if not, we will find ourselves standing outside of the door. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is standing there. Addressing these hirelings who have failed to enter that door. And he looks to the once blind man. And reassures him. That you're now secure. Can you imagine? This is not just some random thing he's saying. There's a blind man who's looking at religious leaders who are saying to him. You are apart from God. And Jesus is saying to him. No one snatches my sheep out of my hand. And no one snatches the father's sheep out of his hand. They are safe in him. And the blind man is sitting there afraid, scared, maybe even uh, intimidated. And you have Christ, the son, standing near this blind man saying, no, this one's mine. And he's safe. What a blessing. Because when the enemy comes and accuses you, you have an advocate. Where the Father who is Christ, he stands by you and says, no, this one's mine. This one belongs to me. The gatekeeper who opens the gate of the sheepfold is the Father. He opens the gates of heaven to Christ and allows Christ to bring in his sheep. And he is the good shepherd who loves and cares for his flock. The hirelink. He plays the role of shepherd, but he's not the shepherd. And they're not his sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now think about this. This is most likely the picture that you've been raised with concerning Christ, that he's a shepherd. You may have grown up seeing pictures of Jesus holding a lamb, holding a rod or a staff in pastures. And it is an image of tremendous love and affection. And it's an imagery that's true. Jesus loves and cares for his sheep. He said in verse 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus has come to give you life. Listen, 
He's not speaking about money. He's not speaking about cars or houses. He's not even speaking about getting a, a wife or a husband. He's speaking about eternal life. Those other things are lavish living. He's speaking about eternal life in God. Abundant life is more than life. It's eternal life. He came that we might have life. The thief came to take life. Christ came to give life. He came so that the door of eternal life might be open and made open for his sheep. He came to purchase our justification by his blood. He came to ransom the life of his sheep. He came to proclaim life and give life to his sheep. And it is those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. The shepherd, his care is is expressed in this. He lays down his life. The shepherd's care and love is expressed like this. He lays down his life. We find in verse 15 where Jesus is speaking of the shepherd and says in verse 15, Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, he says the same thing in verse 17 and verse 18. He expands on this statement. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I lay I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Now, think about this. Among the shepherds of that day, it must have been a strange occurrence for a shepherd to lay down his life for a sheep. It may be something that was 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 odd or it didn't normally happen. A shepherd dying for the sheep. So this picture of Jesus laying down his life for the sheep, it may seem strange to his hearers. But it's the main point that Jesus goes to concerning being a shepherd. Think about that. It may be something that was not normal among the shepherds. But for Jesus, when he speaks about shepherding, the first point that he goes to is, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's the first thing he talks about. The shepherd, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Other shepherds probably had no intention of dying for the sheep. They probably intended to live for the sheep. Hoping to stay alive as long as they could so that they could take care of the sheep. And if they did die... Their death would be an accident. But for Christ, it was the main reason why he came to die. For other shepherds, it was an accident. For Christ, it was intentional. He intentionally came to die for the flock, to lay down his life for the sheep. Do you get that? He says in Matthew 20, verse 18, the son of man will be be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The death of Christ was not an accident. Amen. The death of Christ was the will of the Father. The death of Christ was was not because of a wrong direction that Christ took. The death of Christ was not because his enemies overpowered him. Jesus explains it. No one takes it, takes it from me. I lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. The death of Christ was voluntary. No one took his life. He laid it down. And it may seem like a trivial point. It may seem like, and I know that point. But this point is important. Because this point hinges on your atonement. The voluntary death of Christ... It is vital for your understanding of the doctrine of atonement. 
When Christ died, he did not die because he was too weak or his enemies were too strong. Jesus died because he took the authority, which was his. And he used it to do what others were not able or not allowed. First of all, not able to do. That is to lay down their lives for the sheep. Do you recognize that nobody else could have saved you? And that Christ voluntarily lays down his life to save you. I heard a false teacher say one time, I'll say his name, Kenneth Copeland. He said, if I knew what Christ knew, I could have done what Christ did. No, Yahweh. No, no man, no woman, no animal could have done what Christ did. Perfect in nature, perfect obedience to the law, sacrificial death. Sacrifice accepted by God. Therefore, he is raised to life. No one could do that. And this was all voluntary. Who will go? Son of man says, I will go. He loved the sheep so much that he took their sin. He took their sin. He took their burden and he became a substitute for them. He loved the sheep so much that he took even the wrath of God. They deserved, we deserve the wrath of God. But Christ displayed his love for his sheep. That even while we were dying dead sinners, he died for us. Jesus cares for the sheep. He dies for the sheep. And he also points to the fact that he knows his sheep. You realize that, that he knows you? Not just a mere knowledge of who you are. The Bible speaks about having a knowledge of every single hair on your head. That he has such an intimacy with you that he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know my own and my own know me. Just the father knows me. I know the father. Jesus knows you. He knows all about you. He knows you intimately. He knows your thoughts. He knows your desires. He knows your wants. He knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows your pains. He knows your joys. He knows everything about you. He says he knows you just as the father knows him. How intimate is that? Here's here's how intimate that is. We can't even understand that. Try explaining the Trinity to someone and how the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all working together. And he says, in that that strange uh, mystery of how I know the Father and the Father knows me and how the Spirit is involved in this relationship, that's how well I know you. My sheep. And you're sitting there saying, I can't even understand that. Try to explain the love between a husband and a wife. You just can't. You only stop and say, I I just, I love her. I can try to explain the love that I have for my wife. And I could start to cry and I'd start to laugh. And I I just love her. She's just amazing. She's the best. I can't explain it. Because I know her in such an intimate way that it goes beyond words. And Christ is saying about his sheep that he knows you in such an intimate way that it goes beyond words and it even goes beyond your own understanding. But isn't that just like love? You can't explain it. He's known you. Actually, the word know speaks of a relationship between a husband and wife. It's that intimate. How does he know you? Because you belong to him. Because you're his And if he didn't know you, then you would have no part in him. You would be lost. You would be reprobate. It is to those that he says 
Many will come to me on that day and judge or confess all the things that they've done in my name. And its response to be, will be to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Can you imagine? I never knew you. Does he know you this morning? Are you known by Christ? Do you know Christ? Jesus cares for you. Jesus protects you. Are you a true sheep of Christ? Let's lastly look at the marks of a true sheep. The last contrast that Jesus makes is between those who are his and those who are not his. Jesus makes a comparison between those who are his in his flock and those who are not by saying first, his sheep listen to his voice and they follow him. This is found in verse four. The sheep listen to the voice of Christ. Listen to this now. The sheep of Christ do not merely listen to Christ. They follow Christ. James 1.22 says, do not be only hearers of the word, but doers. Another version says, don't just hear the word, do what it says. The true sheep of Christ, they hear the word of the Lord and they follow him. And following meaning they obey him. How else would you, would you describe that you're following Christ unless you're obeying Christ? Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you love me, keep my commands. That's the only way that people are going to know that you are a follower of Christ. When Jesus makes the appeal to Peter, James, and John to follow them, he's not inviting them to a picnic. He's inviting them to die. And they knew that. Jesus is inviting them to follow him. And in, in, in essence, he's saying, lose your life. When Christ has called you his sheep, he's inviting you not to a picnic. He's calling you to die. He's calling you to lose your life, to take up your cross. So it is, again, with his sheep. We are called to lay down our lives. To hear his voice, respond in obedience. Listen to also what he says. They run away from strangers. This is found in verse 5 and 8. They don't follow. Listen to me closely. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. They run from strangers. Those who try to preach false gospels to them, they run from them. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, I am so shocked. That you are so quickly turning from the one who called you by grace and turning to another gospel, which is no other gospel at all. You should be running from false gospels, not running to false gospels. The sheep who know the word of the voice of Christ don't run to false shepherds. They run from false shepherds. That's why it's so important for you to know the gospel. It's so important for you to memorize the word of God, not to memorize the words of your favorite preacher. To post them on Facebook. Praise God for the great men of God. But they didn't die for you. One of the most popular heresies today. I see them in almost every uh, house that I do. Is this book by a woman, a heretic called Jesus Calling. By Sarah Young. Here's what she tries to do. She, She attempts to emulate the voice of Jesus Christ in devotionals. Saying things like this. Softly I announce my presence. A word she uses a lot, presence. Listen to this. Shimmering hues of radiance tap gently at your consciousness, seeking entrance. I'm about to throw up. Though I have all power in heaven and on earth, I am indefinitely tender with you. The weaker you are, the more gently I approach you. Let your weakness buy a door to my presence. Another word, presence. Whenever you feel inadequate, remember... That I am your ever, I can't even, not in your ever present help. I'm going to stop there. And that may sound sweet. 
It may even sound scriptural. It may even sound like the voice of Jesus. But there are a number of problems with that. It's not the voice of Jesus. And those who read this book and quote these quotes don't know the first thing about Sarah Young. Let me tell you about Sarah Young. How many of you guys have ever heard of Jesus Kong? How many of you guys have ever seen these stupid quotes? Let me give you some. She is a seeker of God's presence and a seeker of messages from God. She follows the pattern of an anonymous author, two authors, who wrote the book God Kong. These unknown writers were called listeners. They simply, this is what they do, they sat in what they called God's presence with pen and paper in hand and they began to just listen and meditate until they felt like God was giving them some kind of message and then began to write it down. Sarah Young took that example and says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to wait for messages from God. And you may, you may have seen these quotes. You may have seen these ridiculous uh, uh, devotionals on Facebook and social medias. And they are written as if, listen, Jesus is speaking to the reader. And it's important to know that Sarah Young makes the audacious claim, this is Jesus speaking. Speaking through her. And she's passing it on. If you believe in sola scriptura, you will count this as a heresy from hell. There is no other revelation apart from that which is revealed to us in scripture. And listen to the devotionals. The devotionals are more affirmations about you than they are commandments from scripture. They're not nice. They're they're nice words that are meant to pet your hurt feelings and sweet words that are meant to comfort you in your hard times. If this were truly Jesus calling, then he would be calling you to turn the other cheek. He would be calling you to take up your cross. He would be calling you to crucify the flesh. He would be calling you to realize that pain produces character. He would be calling you to understand that this is all for my glory. You're going to have to go through it. Let the light of my presence soak into you as you focus your thoughts on me. What does that even mean? Learn to hide in the secret of my presence. Even as you carry out the duties of the world. What? What are you talking about? That should be the first thing that you say as a sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose voice are you speaking of? I don't recognize that voice. That's ridiculous. It may sound sweet. Give me a scripture. I'd rather take that because it's more, it's more solidified in what's been solidified through history. Give me a scripture. I'll take a hard one. I need a hard one. Don't give me this sweet, soft, mushy crap that, that is not from the word of God. Amen. That's this woman sitting there thinking that she's hearing from God. That's a voice of a stranger. It's important for you to know Christ and to know his words so that you, not, you are not moved by every wind of doctrine. Amen. Know your word. Run from strangers. You know what your parents told you when you were kids. Don't talk to strangers. Don't entertain them. J.C. Ryle says the careless man of the world may see no difference between minister and minister, sermon and sermon. The poorest sheep of Christ, as a general rule, will distinguish that things differ, though. There's something different, though he may be unable to explain why he knows there's something not right about that. That's why the spirit of God is in you. To give you discernment. How do I know? Here's how you know. 
Does the preaching make much of Christ? Here's how you know. Does the preaching have a fixed eye on Christ? Here's how you know. Does the preaching desire to glorify Christ in every single word? Here's how you know. Is the preaching done in the strength of Christ, with the doctrine of Christ? And is the preacher walking in the steps of Christ, working to bring men and women to Christ? That's how you know the voice of the shepherd. That's preaching. That's biblical. And what's the result of this whole discourse? Let's find out at the end. Verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What do you say about him this morning? Are you one of his sheep? Have you entered through the door that is the Lord Jesus Christ by repentance and faith in him alone? Have you acknowledged that it is by grace that you are saved and this not of yourselves? It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Are you following the voice of your shepherd this morning? Do you realize that he has secured you in his hand? That he loves you? If you belong to him, he loves you. And maybe you're not one of his sheep this morning. But you've heard the, the message that you are dead in your sin, that you are apart from Christ. If you believe that you can live this life apart from him. And you recognize this morning that you need to come to him in repentance of your sin. And trust Believe and place all of your faith, all of your hope in him alone for your salvation. In doing this, the Bible says that you will be saved. And you will find him to be a perfect savior. Let's stand. For those of you who have done this this morning, you are a member of the church of Christ You are one of his sheep. You are in right standing with this church. We invite you this morning to come and fellowship with your shepherd. To come and feast with him this morning. To receive from him the means of grace that is offered to us. In these natural substances. That are made unnatural at this moment. These unholy things that are made holy at this table. So God, take that which is unholy and make it holy. Take that, Lord, which is natural and make it supernatural. Lord, we ask that you feast with us. And that we receive from you the means of grace that is offered to us in this, in this meal. Let us not despise this table, but to realize that at this table there is grace, that there is mercy, that all sin has been taken by Christ. Let us not stand as sheep and say, but I am unworthy. No, Christ is worthy. And he has invited you as his own to fellowship with him this morning and bring to him all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your fears. 
He's invited you this morning to rejoice with Him. He's inviting you this morning to celebrate redemption. That He has ransomed you from the grave. Oh God, be glorified in all all of our lives, Lord. Let's serve the people, ushers and deacons, let's serve the people.